0: here we go. Lots of people joining this call. There seems to be uh, a lot of interest in the Iowa Democratic Party's caucuses tonight.
1: Who knew? Glad to see you. Scott's in the waiting room. Scott?
0: No, he's on the call. Oh, good. Scott. There we go. Hi, Scott Brennan. Nice to see you. Very good. Very good. Well, today's call is about the caucuses in the in the state of Iowa only on the other side of the aisle that's not getting anywhere near the attention and we have some party officials on the call today and party activists so I thought I'd start the call with uh one question and that is why in the world should anybody show up to the democratic party's caucuses tonight the votes won't be counted and submitted until mid-march and why in the world? Why in the world should we go? Claire, Senate, state senator Claire Selsey, I'm going to ask you to take the first crack at this question.
1: Okay. Well, one of the reasons is we get to see all of our friends and neighbors, and get to catch up with everybody, so that's always nice. Two, I think it's really important just to reconnect with the party every once in a while, and um, you know, volunteer. Um, It seems like the same people do things over and over. So it's nice to bring some fresh blood into the party every year or every other year and get new volunteers uh, to be on the central committee and to volunteer for the convention and things like that. So I think I would say taking your turn, being a volunteer is one of the great ways to get involved. And I would highly encourage that. Um, And then. You definitely want to show up to sign all of the petitions for the candidates that will be on the ballot this fall. So we need lots of signatures. So that's another good reason to come. And um, I'm probably missing a whole bunch of them. But that's, that's
0: the top three. We'll go around on our panel and ask others the same question. Bill Brock, you are a retired attorney and you are also the chair of the Polk County Democratic Party. So if I show up tonight at my caucus at Lincoln High School, what can I expect? What time should I be there? What will we be doing?
2: Well, you definitely wanna get there a little bit early. It uh, kicks off at 7 p.m. So try to be there between 6.30 and 6.45. um, And uh, you're going to hear candidates potentially come and talk, there may be candidates that show up and the legislature. Um, you're going to uh, hear a, uh, a presentation that's been written by uh, Rita Hart, our party chair, that'll be read by uh, whoever's chairing that caucus site. Uh, there's a uh, written statement from me as Polk County chair that'll be read. We will, uh, as uh, Claire was saying, we'll be electing our new central committee. And so we really need folks to show up. We need to have a strong showing tonight because we need to have folks on our central committee. Uh, You know, we've got uh, 176 precincts here uh, in Polk County and every uh, precinct gets two members. Uh, We're probably not gonna have 350 people. I'm not sure we ever have, but uh, we need to have a good cadre of folks to help us get ready for 2024. And that's really the key reason to show up tonight. It is to continue building the momentum for this fall. We need folks who are going to show up to support others who might run for central committee and for the convention. Uh, you don't have to um, be a volunteer to show up. You know, we're not going to uh, uh, draft you on the spot <laughs> against your will or anything like that. Um, but uh, signing those petitions is really important. And, of course, as always, we'll have resolutions so that if folks want to talk issues, um, then they'll have that opportunity. So. Uh, fun. We're doing everything we always did at a caucus, except the presidential part. So I think people know what to expect in that respect.
0: So C.J. Peterson, you are on the central committee. Tell us why that's important. What's what does a central committee member do? And you've been, you've been a candidate for office in the past too. So you're you're a longtime activist. But tell us about being on the central committee
3: absolutely uh so first of all as a candidate it's so important that folks show up and sign those nominating papers especially in our rural counties um a lot harder to get you know the the signatures you need if you can't get to them in the snow and if everyone's all in one place it's a lot easier so just that plug um and uh as far as uh, the state Central committee essentially it's a board of directors for the Iowa Democratic Party, right? So if you think of Rita Hart, our chairwoman, as the CEO, then we are the board of directors and we basically approve the budget and and other items that come before the central committee. So if you have an interest in the direction or, or making sure that the Iowa Democratic Party is doing the work to elect Democrats, then definitely something that you should do. Um, I should mention a lot of our members are term limited as of uh, this cycle because there was a new, you know, that's a new portion of our constitution. So we would love to have folks who are committed to electing Democrats uh, be part of the uh, the State Central Committee.
0: How would you describe the State Central
2: Committee? Sorry, just to be clear tonight, what we are electing tonight are our county central committees. So So, uh, very similar to what CJ uh, uh, described for the state level, Uh, tonight it's the county level that you're electing.
0: Okay, all right, thanks. Scott Brennan, I saw you were on the call. Welcome to the the uh, Monday Zoom podcast. You've you've been on the rules committee for the uh, representing Iowa on the uh, uh, at the DNC level. The caucuses are so different this go around than years past. From your perspective, why is it important to go tonight to the Democratic Party caucus?
4: Sure. Um, you know, we are in a fortunate position that we have an incumbent president. So not unlike 2012, uh, you know, I think the party anticipates the turnout will be, you know, will be a fraction of what it would be in a contested caucus cycle. But the bottom line is that this isn't, the, the caucus has always been an organizing tool for the party. And Bill Brock said it right, which is, you know, we need to get back to getting people, you know, involved at the precinct level to the county level onto the district level. And so that's that's that work starts tonight. Um, and frankly, I mean, you know, look, we we've got a terrible governor. Um, I did my best to torture during an interview with C-SPAN yesterday, but um, we all need to because we need to come back. We cannot live under the reign of terror of Kim Reynolds. And so that's why people need to get out, because we need to get people involved and organized so that we take her out because she is a disaster. So
0: I'm gonna ask those of you on the panel that that I've just uh, interviewed here very briefly. One question I have for you is a a lot can happen in 24 hours in any political election. And that's been a refrain that uh, former Senator Chuck, Chet Culver would, uh, not Chet Culver, John Culver, his father would say about every election cycle, 24 hours is a long time in politics. Well, we have until what August for the, for the Democratic National Committee meeting in Chicago, and a lot can happen. Uh, who knows what, what that might be, but it seems to me really important who is elected to the National Committee. Is this where this starts tonight?
4: No. I mean, the, the DNC people get elected at the state convention. So yes, I mean, but don't so you don't, have
0: to be a, a a a delegate to go to the state convention?
4: Uh oh, the 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 voters at state convention not necessarily, I think is the answer. Um isn't that right, Bill? I mean, you know, we we, we conscript people at the state convention sometimes because you know we set the body, it's a fairly large number, but it isn't all just folks who got elected out of their precincts to their county conventions and on,
2: Yeah, I would say that um, it does help you if you want to advance in the process. Say you want to be a delegate to the national convention in August. It helps you to get to know people and to get elected at these lower levels, at the uh, caucus, at the county convention, and then getting elected to the state and district convention. It gives you a, a step forward in effort. And that would include uh, being a DNC representative too. If you uh, want to run at the June state convention for DNC, um, the best way to get your name out there is to get involved right now.
0: Okay, I'm gonna open this up to the many people that are on the call, excuse me, who might have a question. But one of the other things that could be a part of this evening's activities is talking about issues and passing resolutions. Claire, as a state senator, what do you think are priorities from your perspective to have as issue topics tonight? Well, um, right now, speaking of horrible
1: governor, Kim Reynolds is trying to destroy our beautiful AEA system that is just absolutely under attack right now. Seems like the only person that thinks it's a good idea is her. so I think there will be several res- resolutions coming out of the caucuses tonight that will put some sort of a plank in our platform that says, you know, we want to preserve the AEA system and public education in general, because it's under all-out assault by the Reynolds administration.
0: Claire, for those who might not know what AEA even stands for, why don't you take it from the top about what sure. they do and why it's important?
1: Sure. Sure. Um, every region of Iowa has their own AEA and it stands for area education agency. And basically what they do is supplement all the public schools in that area with supplies, materials, library materials, media, they get, they get deliveries in a van every week, uh, from the AEA to the schools. So let's say a science teacher wants to do a special unit on space. The AEA in their area would have a um, whole package, a whole bunch of information about space and books and materials and experiments and just all kinds of things that the, they can order from their AEA and the AEA then sends it to them. They also do special special education support. They also have specialists like speech therapists, occupational therapists, and then they have a program called Early Access that parents with children with Early developmental delays can have come to their home and teach them tactics on how to, let's say, uh, deal with a child that has autism, things that you can do to make them a better communicator, things like that. So basically, it's an essential service, and especially rural districts in our state would be absolutely devastated by the loss of the AEAs because they otherwise could not afford all the specialists and all the materials that are contained within that AEA. So, this would be a devastating blow to public education in Iowa. And it would also just, you know, really devastate things like teacher training. Um, all the teachers and subs and paras in Iowa get their training essentially from the AEAs. So, this would be a devastating thing to happen to our state. And it is um, nonsensical. It makes no sense in any way, shape, or form. And if you watched Kim Reynolds' State of the State address, she lied through her teeth during that address about what AEAs are, how they're evaluated, and things like that, and just made it seem like there was something wrong with them. And there's nothing wrong. They just passed their latest accreditation in 2022. Nothing wrong with them. So she's making all this up. She's doing another power grab. She wants to be in control of the AEAs rather than uh, the independent body that they are
0: now. What do you think is her rationale? Why does she think this is a good idea?
1: She wants the control. She's a power-hungry person. There is no other way to put it. Um, She, last year, put consolidated state departments down to um, a few um, fewer and basically she wrote into the code that they all serve at the um, pleasure of the governor. So she took out all the checks and balances then she got rid of boards and commissions uh, or she's trying to get rid of them now. So she wants no outside influence or any members of the public to be a part of this. And right now the AEAs are monitored by the public because they all have public boards. In fact, Scott Brennan's wife, Liz, served on our local board here for years. And um, these are all high-class educators on these um, in the AEAs. And then you have really high-level folks that are monitoring um, all of their activities. So she wants power. That's really what
0: it's all about. So I'm gonna open this up to the folks on the call. And I look around the room here. There are people who live all around the state from uh, Algona to Jefferson to, uh, oh my gosh, there's Davenport, Waterloo. So those of you who were on the call that have a question about tonight's caucus, just raise your hand and we'll go to you in a minute. Uh, but before we do that, why, do you think the so many people are going to the Republican party caucuses tonight because they don't feel that the Democratic caucus matters, that the decisions are being made on the GOP side of the aisle and that there's more leverage that they will have by going to the Republican side of the aisle?
3: So so one thing that I will say about that, um, I, I caucused twice as a Republican and twice as a Democrat, and um, the uh, and not not in a mischievous way. I actually was a Republican and then I was a Democrat, but am a Democrat. <laughs> but um, we, uh, one of the things that I suspect you'll see is a lot of folks will show up for the presidential preference portion, and then they'll leave when that part is done. Um, which is what often happens. Um, So I I suspect you may have a similar number of people who stick around for the party business on the Republican side that you see on the Democratic side, if that makes sense. So um, not a lot of folks are that interested in, you know, I mean, if you look at the materials, I, I watched the cartoon that the Trump campaign created to teach people how to caucus. And one of the best I've ever seen, it's great, but it says nothing about staying after the portion Uh, you know, just as you're done when you get done voting for Donald Trump, and then you can go home. And so as for how much party building is going on, I mean, our our people who show up are actually going just to do the party building. So I would say ours is probably going to be more productive as far as, you know, organization goes. And that's why it's important to go.
0: Bill, how about you? How would you answer that question? Is there some kind of temptation to go to the Republican caucus to try and thwart Donald Trump, in your opinion? uh
2: i in my opinion that does exist i have heard at uh, democratic neighborhood meetings in polk county a couple of people say they were going to do that but only a couple of people uh i obviously that's not going to be an effective thing if people are going out of curiosity um there's not very much exciting that happens there at those republican caucuses you just hand in your vote and then they get to the party building work that we would otherwise do. We really want you at our caucus. Uh, You're not going to be doing any good going to a Republican caucus. Uh, The the numbers are going to be so small of Democrats that it's not going to affect the outcome. So please come and join us.
4: (laughs) And the other thing I would say is that, you know, we've, you know, the Democratic Party has never encouraged folks to switch over because frankly, the people who are interested in doing that, I worry that they get they're lazy and then they won't switch back. And so, you know, you run a risk. And I mean, I've talked to reporters ad nauseum over the last couple of days. I mean, they're desperate for a story. They found a couple of folks who are saying they're gonna Democrats who are gonna go talk to switch Republicans, but it, it's a nothing burger. I mean, it really is just some, you know, it's press building something up because they're desperate for a story.
0: Okay, we do have a question. Cindy, you are up. First, you'll need to unmute. And if you would put your video on, that would be great. Cindy, you're up.
5: Okay. So um, I agree that there's not going to be a lot of um, impact by doing this. But I just got off the phone with uh, two friends who are solid Democrats who are changing their uh, uh registration just so they
0: can vote against trump and they said we know this is probably not going to make a lot of difference but we really feel like we have to do whatever we possibly can to stop this orange menace okay thanks terry slindy you're next oh you're you're muted terry terry you're muted you need to unmute
6: I, I'm not used to being muted, <laughs> as you know, Julie. I like it, though. Um, I I have a, a question about the AEA again. I happen to be uh, at a, in a conversation with a couple of uh, educators. Uh, one who started out as a teacher ended up being a superintendent. And I, I heard an interesting argument from them saying that, uh, well, it's time we get rid of the AEA. Because they make big salaries, and they take money away from uh, the community. And and quite frankly, I I was not equipped to respond to that, but I'd be interested to hear uh, what what that response might be. Okay,
0: Claire, do you want to take that one? Thank you, Terry. Uh,
1: They're reading from the talking points that the Republican Party and the governor's office gave them. We actually got a hold of those talking points, and they're straight off of that song sheet. So they're they're doing their part by reading the song sheet and and mouthing the the Republican talking points. So good for them. but the fact is is that AEA administrators are highly educated, Most of them have PhDs. Um, they're the ones who teach the, um, you know, principles and um, what do you call it, uh, supervisors? Um, in the school system. So they have to be highly educated. They're not making any more money than the average um, like school superintendent in a, a district in Iowa. So yes, they make good money. The reason they make good money is because they're highly educated and highly specialized.
4: Well, and in fact, the people who provide the services, I mean, you know, if they're audiologists, they're right. speech therapists. I mean, they're yeah. They're real professionals, and right. So, all
1: of them you know, are very highly educated
4: people, and Kim Reynolds hates professions.
1: she and hates professionals, and she hates she hates education people, period
3: well, and and there's an instinct here to uh, paint this as something that only impacts, you know, families with students with intellectual dis- intellectual disabilities. But I mean, as, I'm hard of hearing, i I having the Aea made me able to jump to the front of my class in school i mean I, I my parents could not afford hearing aids and being able to get audiology services and a speech pathologist and um you know that the equipment that they that my teachers used when i was in elementary and middle school really helped form the foundation of my education here in iowa and i i, I think that you know this isn't you know th- this is just so important to people who use it um and and you know, my speech pathologist uh, that I had was actually out of Council Bosch and you know, it was uh, we we were very lucky in our rural community, about an hour away from Council Bosch to be able to get uh that service. And I, I just I worry so much about the rural community is not being able to afford this. Or and and you know, the goal here is privatization. If you if you want to learn what the goal is and what they want to do. Follow a guy named Corey DeAngelis on Twitter. He is the governor's uh, puppet master. Um, and he's the one that kind of creates the model legislation on all of these school things. And he retweets and tweets a lot of things and posts a lot of things about how the goal is to destroy private public education, because they believe that public education is bad. So,
0: so thanks CJ up uh, back to what's happening <clears throat> with the Iowa democratic party and the caucus system tonight, Scott, tell us, what the future for the party is. I mean, it, 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 it used to be such a, a tool for party building and that sort of thing, but, but I hear there's no real uh, uh, presidential preference process other than a mail-in ballot. you can do that from the comfort of your home without going to the caucus tonight. Uh, what, what is the future of the caucus process in your view? You've been intimately involved in this.
4: Well, um, you know, the future is yet to be written, obviously, because it's the future. But um, look, we wanted to offer uh, a process that was more accessible and inclusive. And that's what an all-mail-in process is. Um, And the Democratic National Committee demanded it. And so we offered up the process. The real issue was whether we were going to remain first and release our results, tonight or release them in accordance with what the DNC wanted. Um, Again, we have an incumbent president. So, you know, in 24, this is about essentially, I'd call it a beta test of our mail-in process. You know, is this something that we can do, do well? Um, Are people participating? You know, they went over 10,000 requests yesterday, which then the window to request is open for another six weeks. So I'd say that's successful, considering the fact that there were, I think, twelve thousand caucus attendees in uh, who participated in the caucus in twenty twelve. So, you know, I think it's good progress. And this is about twenty eight. Twenty eight is an open White House. You know, we all hope Joe Biden wins. God forbid if he doesn't. But either way, it's an open White House in twenty eight. And now we have a process that we've done that's been tested, and we are ready to. Uh, go back to being first. Um, the Democratic National Committee may not like it, but I can tell you from my experience. I mean, there are uh, folks who are interested in running in 28 are already uh, floating around. Um, a couple are in town now, and they are uh, rational folks who will look at you know is Iowa a place that I can be first? And again, I mean, you know, there's so much can be written. I mean, you know if the president's not reelected it's an entirely new dnc uh leadership if the president's reelected is he actually interested you know obama i love president obama he wasn't terribly interested in running the dnc during his last few years in office and so uh you know other forces fill that gap so i mean all bets are off for 20. Well, so and in and the
0: future sure do that. you do you see the the return of the neighborhood uh, folks gathering in preference groups and horse trading delegates on the spot that night? Will that ever return?
6: I think
4: we could come up with a combination of the two. Um, frankly, uh, at this point, we cho- I think the, the decision by the SEC was to not do that, um, and, and for good reason. And again, this cycle is a nothing burger, as I said before. So it's it's all about twenty eight, and you know the process will look different twenty eight. Uh, I don't know if Chair Hart will be the chair then. Uh, I've been chair twice. I certainly will not be the chair a third time, um, but whoever is will will sort of guide the SEC toward some sort of thought process on what we want to look like. Okay, we
0: have Bryce Oakley, then Laura Billen and Ralph. Rosenberg has a question. Bryce, why don't you go first?
7: I'd like to extend Scott's uh, discussion. My question, Scott, is this. What will be the position of the Iowa Democratic Party starting after tonight uh, going to 2028 uh, particularly with regard to whether attendance matters or whether you're going to have a secret ballot uh, or you're going to do a balloting like a lot of other states and basically have a primary? What will be Either your personal position, because I think that balloting uh, in precincts and getting people to gather is extraordinarily important. I wouldn't give up the caucus concept in a heartbeat uh, for what it can do, both for party building as well as for candidate selection. So, what would be your preference for a position going looking to
4: twenty twenty eight? Sure, uh, that's a very fair question. So my preference would be that we go to a hybrid, which is essentially is that we continue to do caucusing in person for those who can attend. But we have, you know, essentially, you know, there's many ways to do it, but there's essentially you can do a realignment via a card as long as you have, as long as you've identified who the people are who appear on the card, you can still do a realignment that would be done via mail because, you know, we're at the point in the world where, you know, factory workers on the third shift, people who have childcare issues, you know, uh, people who you know, have disabilities who just can't get out, they are should be allowed to participate. And the party of Tom Harkin cannot just ignore all of those folks. And so we need to have a combination of the two. And I think there's a way to do that. You know, that was certainly one of the things that we considered early on when it became clear that we were not going to be first is why I think, you know, we ultimately went to an all mail-in process. I will tell you that my son and daughter-in-law just moved back from Seattle and that is an all mail-in process and they love it. Um, But the difference is one thing in Iowa, we can't do a primary because it's prohibited by state law. We are required to be a caucus. Um, and uh, Brenna Bird is a disaster just like her governor, but that is one time where she would uh, go right to court if we tried to push a, you know, state, a, a primary.
0: Okay, thanks, Scott. So if you're just tuning in, we have on a panel S- State Senator Claire Selsey and DNC Representative Scott Brennan, Polk County Democratic Party Chair, uh excuse me bill brock and cj peterson who is on the democratic party state central committee and we're trying to figure out what we're going to do tonight at the democratic party caucus and laura bellen you have a question
8: i do i am pretty skeptical that iowa has any realistic chance of being first in 2028 but let's just be optimistic and assume that we are i um would encourage the state party leaders, if you do some kind of a hybrid system, to not disadvantage the people who are participating virtually. The plan that the party developed before 2020, the one that the DNC sort of shot down with only a few months' notice, that would have really given a lot more sway to the people who were there in person, as opposed to the people who were participating in other ways. And so I think some kind of in-person caucus, but also allowing people to mail in a preference card that allows them to indicate a first and a second choice so you can do some kind of realignment or something. I think that's just extremely important. And I would encourage you not to disadvantage the people who are participating by by mail. One question that I had, I wrote something this weekend for my website about the democratic plans. and, And one of my readers complain that, you know, how are people even going to know that they need to request these preference cards? And what about older people who don't have internet connections? And why didn't the party just mail these preference cards to everybody? And I said, well, I assume that it would be pretty expensive to do and probably not the best use of funds this year when there's no real contest. But is that something that the party might consider for 2028, just proactively mailing a preference card to all registered Democrats in the state? And and with also something in the mailing that explains that they still have the option of attending in-person caucuses if they choose to do that instead. Which of you would like to take that question first?
4: I'm just, like that. I mean, we thought about it, um, but yeah, right. It's prohibitively expensive um, and, and again, in a how process, expensive?
8: I just added ballpark, how expensive?
4: Uh, north of a half million. You know which? No, that is an extraordinary amount of money when when Chair Hart spends uh, her every moment trying to raise funds, and you know so it, 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 for this process that's extraordinarily expensive.
8: Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that to be a criticism that that didn't happen. I just was curious. That was my my assumption was that it was just it would be ridiculously expensive in a year when there's no contest. But I'm thinking if it's a wide open race in 2028 is a little different.
4: Exactly, where okay. many uh, many resources come toward the party uh, during the contested caucus cycle that do not uh, show up on things.
0: Ralph Rosenberg, why don't you unmute and hop on and, and uh, ask your question, make your point. Former state Senator Ralph Rosenberg. Are you around, are you there? Where'd you go? Well, his question was, what are Democratic leaders doing to keep democratic values and issues in the headlines while all the national press is in town? Who wants to take that
3: one? Oh, you can go first. I was going to
1: say, we were just talking about this a minute ago. Um, The head of the Iowa Newspaper Association has noticed that we are not getting as much especially newspaper coverage as some of the other republicans because that's their districts you know the republican districts are getting a lot more coverage um, and then we are so um, apparently and CGI i interrupted you but basically cj um, has more information about how our leaders are going to take advantage of that opportunity to get more op-eds and things into the paper. Why don't you go ahead and take it from here, CJ?
3: Sure, sure. So, um, essentially most, uh, even though 53% of Iowans now live in cities and suburbs, uh, the majority of Iowans ge- geographically live in a place where it's a rural newspaper that's represented by a Republican state legislator. And so, um, we, uh, Democratic, uh, communication shops for the House and Senate Democrats, as well as Chair Hart's uh, communications director. And then, you know, us on the uh, with with auditors and are essentially putting out uh, op eds through the Iowa Newspaper Association to ensure that there's a Democratic uh, counterweight uh, when they run op eds from the local Republican legislators just to make sure that 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 the Democratic perspective is included. Um, I think um, some of some of us may remember the fairness doctrine. It's kind of like that, but for newspapers. So uh, we hope that we get some democratic perspective as well. So uh, I think I think yeah.
0: Ralph was was curious about taking advantage of the national press in town now.
3: And- Actually, that's a that's a great question as well. Um you may notice uh Auditor Sand was on ABC News Nightline last night. Um you can find that on ABC News uh website. Um, and uh leader Confirst was on uh MSNBC last night. I mean, all of our Democratic leaders are have been, you know, everywhere. There's something called the Iowa Caucus Consortium, uh, which is basically a large empty meeting room in Hyvie Hall where national reporters set up their their live hits, and they also, you know, we we've got various Democratic leaders uh, walking around in there basically finding reporters who are bored and waiting for the news to happen. Right. And so we've had, you know, Auditor Sanders has been on News Nation and um, a whole bunch of different, you know, things. And, and, and I assume all of the others are doing the same. So um, we are doing what we can. And then I, I believe uh, Governor Pritzker from Illinois is coming to Iowa today to do a press conference, um, as well as uh, uh, Senator Smith from Minnesota. Uh, so i mean we 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 we're, we're covering the bases we're doing what we can the point is i mean there's not a lot of excitement for the national press on the iowa side right and so we have to kind of give them something that's newsworthy in order for them to talk to us and so that's kind of the struggle here
4: but a piece of that is i mean you know look we've done we've not done a good enough job of uh, engaging with the press i mean chair hart does as much as she can um, I don't think our elected officials have done a good enough job of engaging with the national press. A lot of whom are in town, and frankly, the frankly the Dem- the, the Biden campaign and the Democratic National Committee kind of you know uh, discouraged. I would say uh, a lot of participation. I mean, the, the three folks that they have sent for today to wander the media center, as C.J. said, it's Governor Prisker from Illinois, it's uh, Senator Smith. From Minnesota, and it's Jeffrey Katzenberg, who's a fabulous, wealthy uh, TV mogul, movie mogul. But you know, not uh, with the exception of Governor Pritzker, I wouldn't say you know, sort of what I'd say are A list of counter-program. So um, you know, it's a problem. You know, that I mean, it sure shows that. I mean, the campaign's focus is, but well, certainly not on New Hampshire. It is on South Carolina. And, you know, we are just, what? Thank God. one of my curses is, can be relative honesty. We're a bit in the wilderness here, and uh, it's and- painful to watch. But all the press that I've talked to are bored out of their minds. They're tired. They don't want, there's, not, there's nothing to do. They don't want to go see Trump again. They know he's going to win. They're looking for a story. Um, I know I've been working with the party to feed them some things that we think are interesting. And they're desperate to find any other story because it's so bad. Uh, and
3: and and to, to this point, I, I was texting with someone from one of the major cable news networks and, and offering Auditor Sam to talk about, you know, the, the situation here in Iowa. And and their response back to me was, Is Auditor Sam going to announce his bid for president in 2020? <laughs> and I said I, I, I said no. And did not hear back after that so (laughs) it's just one of those things where sometimes they don't see state politics as interesting in this context
0: all right susan you are up next you'll need to unmute please
5: never a problem julie (laughs) okay so uh you know my question speaks to the vision and and of the of the party and how to get people excited around it honestly except for a few a few Democratic elected leaders like Claire or Jennifer, maybe Chuck Eisenhart, I don't hear a lot of spine in the party that gets people excited. I don't hear you unabashedly pro-union. I don't hear you unabashedly anti-CAFO. Uh, and, you know, it, it's it's like a party of fear. It's It's a party afraid to offend farmers, 3% of our population, none of whom will ever vote for you. So, and I'd like to know what the party can do and is thinking about doing by getting people excited. And you know, let's call a spade a spade. This is fascism what uh, Kim Reynolds and these Republicans are doing. I'm reading a book called It Can't Happen Here by Sinclair Lewis, written in the 1930s. And the main character in that book is Donald Trump. I mean, how did Sinclair Lewis know that Donald Trump was gonna be around you know, almost a hundred years later? So I'd like to know what our Democratic leaders and the party itself is going to start doing about getting people excited about even showing up.
3: So here, here's one thing I want to I want to provide some context about Iowa politics here. So and, and this is not me disagreeing with you in, in any context, but. Um, In 1906, a man named Claude Porter ran for the governor of Iowa, and he got close but didn't win. And he he did it again, and he got close but didn't win. And then he decided to give up and said, Iowa will only go Democratic when hell goes Methodist, right? And so then Harold Hughes actually used that quote his entire 1964 campaign for governor. As a way of lowering expectations for his win, and then he ended up winning, right? So, I, my my point is, then you had in in the nineteen fifties, the Republicans had a hundred and three to two majority in the Iowa House, and then by nineteen sixty four, it was switched, right? And and so Iowa Iowa has never been a a terribly progressive state. Uh, generally, it's always been pretty balanced. Um, and so I, I think that it's easy to get bogged down in this right now. But I mean, in 2002, 20 years ago, we had all, five out of the six statewide elections, And now it's exactly flipped with the auditor being the odd one out again. Um, so, I mean, I, I would just say that it, a lot, I, that 24 hours is a lifetime in politics. And so I would say four years or two, two, four, six years is a lifetime in politics. And I think there's a lot of potential for us to pop back. So,
0: Claire, your hand is raised. Is that because you have a comment right now? Oh, you're muted.
1: Um, okay, so two things. One, our party leaders are working together like never before. So Rita Hart, Jennifer Confirst, uh, Rob Sand, and Pam Yocum are working together on our campaign to make it truly coordinated because we had a big problem with our coordinated campaign in 2022. One of the reasons that 92,000 people did not come out and vote. So we're fixing that. That's one good thing that has happened now, happening now. And then, just on a personal note, um, I've had always had a big problem with the parties, the party leaders not working together, and using the press. My former job was in public relations. So um, I'm always banging the drum. And as my friend Jill June would say, I'm raising the bloody flag and letting people know what's wrong. Um, And that's important, not only for um, the issues like the AEAs and things like that, but it's also important to let our party activists know what's going on. So we need to use the press a lot more um, as a party and I would absolutely encourage people yeah. to do that on their own as elected officials. One of the th- things I did recently was do a news, a news conference to highlight how bad our nursing homes are and how bad the oversight of them is. And that was very popular. I think I got over 200 media hits just off of that one news conference alone. So we need to do a better job. And I 100% support any elected official that wants to start doing that.
0: Okay, Ralph, I did while you were off uh, with internet issues, I asked your question, but I'm gonna to go to Bryce and then ask you to read uh, if you have anything else you wanted to add, and then Gail and, and Henry. Bryce, go ahead.
7: Yeah, Claire absolutely struck one of two bells that I think ought to be rung in, in, in her comments. It works into the question I wanted to ask Bill Brock and whoever else. What are gonna be the talking points The precinct captains are going to have when they talk to those, however large the audience is for their caucus. What are we going to hear with regard to the specific strategy, and it shouldn't be a secret, that Claire has outlined uh, is happening at the top? How are you getting that down to build organization? Voter turnout is actually the number one thing that we want to see, coordinating campaigns. Can you give us some idea of what you've asked those people to talk about when we show up? Well, first of all, you
2: are exactly right. Getting up the vote is key to everything here. You can spend all the money on media, but what's going to matter are boots on the ground. And we're well set up for that in Polk County with all of our very active Democratic neighborhood groups. I mean, they're the ones who are hosting these uh, caucuses tonight. What we're going to talk about are things that uh, are very obvious. People don't, Iowans don't like a governor who's telling them how to live their lives they don't like losing their reproductive freedom they don't want uh, public money going to private school vouchers i think these are the things we have to focus on that we're getting a government that's not responsive to us and we need a government that is responsive to iowans concerns that most people want something and um and they it's not they're not getting it from this governor so um I really think that's part of the message here is Des Moines, in the context of the governor, is telling you how to live your life. And that
9: is not the Iowa way. Okay, Ralph. Thank you. And I've had Internet problems, so my audio might be a problem, so just turn it off. But the Democrats have had 12 months to present Democratic values from Iowa to the national media. We have a thousand media in Des Moines. And it seems that we have turned over the forums to the Republicans in the last 12 months, simply. I don't think the Republicans would have done this if the tables were turned. So, my question is similar to what Bryce is, what are people going to say tonight? What are the Democratic values tonight? What's going to be said today? And then also, what's going forward in forward states? Because I haven't seen any concerted effort to keep people with democratic values involved as the attention has been on Republican candidates. And this will repeat itself in New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. And this really builds upon some of the comments that were in the chat. Some of the comments that Susan said is, as individuals, we're doing everything we can. But once you get out of the urban areas, people do not know and have not heard from Democrats. and. I think there's individuals doing fine work, but my work in some of the rural areas that people don't understand this. So I want to know, what are we doing going forward? It's too late for, maybe too late for tonight, but what are we going to go forward in this state so people can be reminded? Again, it's been kind of silent. This summer and fall were silent when it came to democratic values. And it really is, I think, a different way of saying what Susan's talked about and Bryce has talked about. So I thank you, Julie.
0: Okay, Ralph, do you have anybody in particular that you are wanting to address that bill, Claire? <laughs> well,
9: CJ, I emailed uh, a party about this a couple of weeks ago. So if anyone has an answer, maybe the, there is. it's not a good question and it doesn't deserve an answer, but if people are talking with independence at all in Iowa, you know that they don't understand what being a Democrat in Iowa is these days.
1: Claire? Yeah, I mean, I've been banging this drum for years, Ralph, Um, just literally, I've I've had meetings with party leaders, I've had meetings with, you know, fellow legislators, Uh, we need to do better. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And we need a more proactive media stance. So what I would suggest, for example, is every single week, Governor Reynolds has totally given up having news conferences. She doesn't doesn't do it anymore. And she just she just speaks by taking away people's rights, as was pointed out a little bit ago. So why aren't Democrats having a weekly news conference, for example? I've recommended that for a really long time. So we need to do a better job. There's absolutely no doubt doubt about it. Claire, I was
9: served in I served in the House under Governor Ray, who was a progressive governor, by the way. I we've had progressive stands. And also there were periods with Vilsack and Culver where I think we had progressive stands as well. But Claire is saying is so right. And it doesn't cost anything other than the time of democratic leaders. When we were in the minority, we would do that. We would convene rooms in the legislature and have an open meeting. We'd invite the media and we would talk about issues. So on one day we would talk about energy issues. The next day, we talk about children and families issues. We didn't do it daily. And Claire is absolutely right. I don't understand why people aren't doing it. All What get what we get uh, for those people who are on your email list. We get the emails from individual legislators. But inside the chamber, we want to amplify it. And the Democrats, you have a great opportunity to do this. Claire's, this press conference this is a great idea.
0: All right. Thank you. Gail and Henry, you're in Davenport, right? That's right. We're in Davenport.
10: Um my, Mine is a very quick question, but it, it feeds into Ralph and some of the other speakers. Uh, we went and heard Rob Sand last June at the uh Red, White, and Blue dinner uh, pitching uh, Street Teams app. I tried to download the app. It wasn't operative in Iowa, and there were no affiliations. We had our... County chair for dinner. Uh, two months late three months later, she also mentioned the street teams concept and that there were weekly trainings on Monday nights for uh, to get people involved in the Democratic Party. And um, I asked her to provide me with the link. I didn't hear. Finally I I heard back a couple months later after three emails that we're not doing street teams anymore. What are we doing at the grassroots level to try to get people involved in the Democratic Party and in getting out the vote?
3: So what street team is is a uh, it's just the uh, minivan app which is van is the the voter act the voter activation network it's the uh, the Democratic Party's voter file and minivan is just the app that goes on your phone that allows you to access that and so all that street team is supposed to be um is just you being able to go into the minivan and you know if if there are you know for example there's they they would set up these issue questions right and you you say you're talking you hear somebody in the grocery store complaining about vouchers right and they're right in front of you and you can say hey uh can i can i get your uh you know your name and and an address uh, or a zip code, um, and 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 we can tell the Democratic Party what you think about this issue, so that they're doing, you know, they 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 think of essentially that to tell the Democratic Party and collect the data of, of what you think, and and that's what the street team process is supposed to be. So, um, I. I know that Gregory Christensen, the vice chair IDP has been wonderful. Um, I, I think that they got a little sidetracked with the caucus happening. And so they've been very busy organizing that. Um, and I, they are working on bringing on an organizing director as well, uh, to my knowledge. So I, I would stay tuned on some of that. I And I I know it's frustrating. It's hard. I'm hell hath no fury like a rural Democrat who doesn't hear from anybody. I, I'm one of them. Um, but, uh, you know, we just I would just uh, hope that uh, everything kind of falls into place here after the caucuses. I think that's gonna you're going to see some ramping up of the organizational stuff. And Bill probably knows a lot about this because I think they're using it in Polk County. Of
0: course, Davenport is exactly rural, but, <laughs> but Bill. Can, can I tell I have... you
2: what we're doing? Yeah. Um, so in... in... In Polk County, and and we are also uh, giving instruction to other counties how to do this, we have very robust neighbor-to-neighbor programs active. And and what this is is basically organizing at the precinct level, where we take one of our neighborhood groups, say the Northwest Ems Beaverdale area, and we assign, we recruit volunteers to be in charge of a precinct. They recruit people to contact up to 40 households. Um, And so when a vote's going to happen, Uh, when a candidate's coming to town, these folks contact, usually by door knocking, by uh, email, by text, and sometimes um, through postal, through postcards, uh, these voters. And so it is a very robust process. It's uh, built on an old model from the 1950s, uh, precinct organizing. It's just Precinct Organizing 101, but we're doing it in spades, and we are helping other counties learn how to do this, learn how to organize their systems. We have a, a couple in uh Dave Langer and Donna uh, Richard Langer, who uh, are just masters at this, and um, and we've got another number of other neighborhoods doing this as well, but it is a great way to get the vote out. So, Bill, are you volunteering
0: to go around the state and do do uh, trainings for folks in, uh, we've got people on the call from all over the state. You you up for road, road tripping? I am not up for road trips, but I am
10: up for learning more about it. And it seems like a long road from last June to this exclam- explanation today. I just, I'm a little discouraged in case you can't tell. Um, I mean, I hear that Johnson County is doing a lot. Um, with its organizational restructuring and that Scott County people are trying to, to be mentored by them. But I, it hasn't translated yet. This is January and they've been doing this since August. And I'm, I'm not feeling a momentum of, of democracy by the Democratic party in Scott County yet. And I would like to feel that. So I don't, I, I don't want to sound like I'm bad mouthing the party, but I'm, I am frustrated is what
0: I'm trying to say. Okay,
11: Tim Wagner, you have a comment or a question? Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Julie. I want to go back to the AEA discussion. Um, Literally just got a text from a friend of mine uh, from Mason City. She worked for the AEAs for years, so she retired a couple of years ago. Apparently, she was attendance to an online meeting just the other night with uh, Representative Sharon Steckman from Mason City. I'm sure many of you know, and it's, she's discussing this issue with this bill on the AAs that Reynolds is going to introduce that was written by a group called Guidehouse um, <clears throat> and allegedly cost about a million dollars to write this bill. And most legislators did not know that this bill was coming up for discussion. And uh, <clears throat> apparently it's being pushed by Iowa Deed. You know, Department of Education Director Snow, who he previously worked for, Betsy DeVos. That's a little bit of background on what's going on here. I'm sure some of you already know this. So I'll leave it to see,
0: I see Laura Bellin with her hand raised. I bet she does. Go ahead, Laura.
8: Yeah, someone raised this issue with me, and I contacted Representative Steckman about it. I think there was a little bit of miscommunication. It's GuideHouse the state paid GuideHouse a million dollars to develop the plan to reorganize state government generally. And there is no indication that there was like a separate million dollar contract with GuideHouse to do this AEA bill. And I'm not aware, it has not been confirmed that this out-of-state consulting company helped draft this plan for the AEAs. I'm not saying they definitely didn't, but I think that there may be some confusion there. So that's something I'm going to try to be nailing down. But uh, that the current director of the Department of Education comes from Virginia, where Guidehouse is based. And so it's very possible that they tapped into that. But I, I don't know the one, the million dollar contract was definitely related to last year's plan to restructure state government that the governor dumped in the legislature, rubber stamped with basically no changes, yeah. no substantive changes.
5: Thanks, thanks, okay,
0: Claire, you have another point of view on this?
1: Yeah, it's not a point of view. It's We met with the AEAs last Friday, and they are 100% sure that it was that same organization that um, basically just continued their relationship with Governor Reynolds and um, is slashing the AEAs with this guidehouse um, group working on it with them. Because they, they're the ones that reorganized all of the state government. So this guidehouse group, and by the way, they used ACA money or, you know, like, government, federal government money to do this. So another slap in the face to Iowans. They used money that we could have been using for many, many other things uh, to reorganize the state government and do the AEA thing too.
0: So Claire, we, we just have a couple minutes left and I'm and I'd like to ask each of you who are our panelists on this call, CJ, Scott, Bill, and yourself. I've heard a lot of kind of I don't know if resignation is the right word on this call in terms of frustration. Um, I've also heard some, some positive sort of constructive things that sound like are in the works. What takeaway do you have from this brief telephone call with people from around the state? Claire, why don't you go first? You're yeah.
1: Um, I'm, getting the feeling and this is not directed toward any one person or any one county but i get the feeling that somebody's coming you know we're somebody you're waiting for someone to come and save you that is not the case you need you guys need to organize your counties like we used to do it i mean just ground it's on the ground organizing so yes we have some bigger counties that have probably a few more people and a few more resources but Uh, West Des Moines has one of the biggest neighborhood organizations uh, in Iowa, but it's really only about 10 people that are doing all the work. So we need to get our people in our counties going, organizing. And if you need some help finding out how to do it, sure, Polk County and other uh, larger counties like Urbandale's group might be able to help you. But really what it is is just... It's boots on the ground organizing. It's walking your neighborhoods, getting to know people in your neighborhood, registering voters. We had thousands of voters that dropped off the voter rolls in the last um, year because of Republican laws, new Republican laws. So the first thing I would do if I were you anywhere in Iowa is get a hold of the list from your county of all the voters that got dropped off the voter rolls. And start calling them and getting them back on the voter rolls. Because we had 92,000 people that did not vote in the last election in 22. We need to get more voters, more Democrats on the rolls. That is something very simple that every county can do. Almost anyone can do that. So I would just say,
0: pick a project and get busy. CJ, how about you? What's your reaction?
3: Well, I, I hear you all, and I feel your frustration um and again, as Senator Selsey said, you know we can't out here in our rural county in Audubon County um we we decided that we couldn't wait for someone to save ourselves so we're we're starting small, right so what we're doing is um, I read somewhere that the year that Tom Harkin first uh, ran for Congress, he lost the election, but Ruth Harkin was on the ballot for Story County attorney and she didn't expect to win and she won and he lost. Right. And it was, she was just on the ballot because they needed a Democrat to run. And so our goal this year is to have every ballot line in Audubon County filled with candidates because that's the first step, right? So if people actually see that Democrats are on the ballot, some people really do go down their ballot and check every other one, right? So you never know. And and some people, you know, there's still that power of local relationships. And so even if you just take your 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 ballot and you say, these are all the, the positions, I'm going to make sure that I help find a candidate for each one of these positions, right? You don't have to, you know, be the only person doing it, but that would be a great place to start, especially in the rural counties. And And that's a way that you can do something right now.
4: Scott, how about you? You know, it's a it's a combination of what Claire said, what CJ said, and you add it on with, you know, uh, Leader First has done a very good job of finding folks to run for seats. Um, you know, they've been very intentional about it. Uh, Pam Yokum has done the same. Uh, the issue there is the Senate just has a very tough map, as Claire will tell you. But certainly on the House side, you know, we need to win some elections. Winning some elections generates some enthusiasm, which gets people back in the voter rolls, which gets people on the rolls in Audubon County and run for office. I mean, we need to win some elections. We went through multiple cycles where we said we were going to take the House back. It didn't happen. And now, you know, we're in a tough position. And, you know, you know there's some really good candidates out there. If you all are interested enough to spend an hour listening to this panel drone on, then, you know, pull your checkbook out and support a candidate for the state house. Because that we win those elections, we stop the bad stuff that Reynolds is doing, and we get people energized and enthusiastic again. And, you know, I see lots of energy when I talk to Democrats, but, you know, there is a frustration because we can't stop the bad stuff Reynolds does until we actually elect some folks.
0: Hey, Bill, I'm going to ask you to wrap up, but also let you know that we put folks in breakout rooms after one of these Zoom calls. And this might be a really good idea for this particular group. Bill, why don't you respond and then we'll go into breakout rooms and you're all welcome to participate. I hope you do.
2: Bill? Thank you, Julie. Yeah, I'm um, what it, uh, and uh, I would add that what I bring today are a lot of folks who are fired up and ready to go and want us to do better. And we all want to do better. And the key thing for leaders is listening. So thank you for sharing your thoughts today. Um, and yeah, I'm hearing messaging. People really want us to message stronger, message more frequently, um, tell people where we stand. And I'm 100% behind that. We've got to do that better. And we're okay. going to work on it.
0: Thank you very much, all of you, for being a part of this conversation. We're going to go into breakout rooms. And I'm eager to see what you what relationships you make in the breakout rooms. Thank Thank you again. Thank you, Julie.
2: Thanks, Julie.